Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. The four cups are the four cups of Jewish um, Passover. And this is a, an annual feast that the Hebrews, the Jews uh, partake in every single year. And uh, we're looking at it, um, not as Jews, but as Christians, um, how Christ is the fulfillment um, of our Passover. And that's what we talked about last uh, week, how Christ came to fill full um, the true meaning of Passover. And so if you weren't here, you can go online, listen to the podcast, but uh, we're going to dive into that this week by looking at the four cups because every year um, the Jews celebrate this Passover. They have four cups of wine and with each cup they, they read a different promise from God. Uh, the promises are found in Exodus chapter 6 verses 6 through 7. We're going to read them here and this is the outline really for the next four weeks uh, here at City Chapel. For the next four weeks we're going to be focusing on these four promises. Also in your worship guide, um, if you open it up there's a piece of paper that says sermon notes. Uh, if you'll take that out, I'll just show you. This is for um, all the space that you're going to need to write all the really inspiring stuff I'm about to say. Um, no, just kidding. You may, this is, that's for doodling or, you know, whatever. Uh, but on the back uh, is a whole list of, um, of the sermon series uh, topics. So over the next four weeks, these are going to be the topics uh, April 1st, that's today, and April 8th, 15th, and the, and the 22nd. These are the four different promises or the four different cups that we're going to be focusing on here at City Chapel. But also on the back is a list of small groups. These are small groups that are starting today, brand new groups. They're going to have sign-up tables out front when you leave the service today. And what these groups are, they are all studying the same thing. They're studying the cups that I'm talking about. So if you really want to get the most out of this sermon series, I encourage you to stop by one of those tables and check it out. We have them almost every night of the week, different times, different places, um, so that you can be a part of diving in deeper into um, this idea of the, the four cups. Really, uh, I, I hope we can go on a journey together. I hope we can, we can go on a journey from uh, the first promise all the way to the fourth promise that every single one of these promises, while they were given uh, years ago, 3,000 years ago to this ancient civilization, um, we serve the same God. God hasn't changed and his heart, his desire for us is still the same. And so um, I, I want to read those to you right now and then we'll dive into the first cup. Uh, God said um, to Moses, uh, the people of Israel, they're trapped in Egypt as slaves for 400 years. And God says to Moses, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And the first I will is I will bring you out from under the yoke or the burden. Actually, the word means burden or uh, weight of the Egyptians. I will free you. That's the second promise from being slaves to them. And the third one, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Going on to verse 7, he gives us the fourth promise, says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. This is, this is a journey. God says, first of all, I will bring you out, then I will uh, free you from being slaves to them. We're going to talk about that next week. And then he says, I will redeem you. And then he says, I will take you as my own people. And this, this final promise is the promise of fulfillment. We believe that God ultimately wants you to live a fulfilled life, a life that is filled full 
of joy, of peace, of kindness, of goodness, of gentleness, of faithfulness, of self-control. You might've heard the scripture. That's the fruit of the spirit. When God fills our life, suddenly we begin to walk in all of these things. We believe that God has that for everybody, um, but it starts with the very first I will. He says, I will bring you out. I will bring you out from under, out from under. I will bring you out uh, from under. Uh, to really understand uh, this particular promise, the power of this promise, um, you, you have to understand the problem um, that they were in. You have to understand the predicament uh, that the people of Israel, that the Israelites were in. When, when God said, I will bring you out, right? When God said, I will bring you out from under the, the weight, the burden of the Egyptians, you really need to understand what that means. And in order to get some context, I'm gonna to go to uh, Exodus chapter one, rewind just a little bit. The Bible tells us a little bit about what was going on in their lives. Basically, the people of Israel had moved to Egypt as, as a friendly nation. Um, uh, Joseph uh, had the hookup with Pharaoh at that time, with the king of Egypt. However, in verse eight, we see that a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Uh-oh. And look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. Uh, this, is, this is the mindset of the king of Egypt. This is the mindset of Pharaoh. And I, I just think it's interesting just for a minute uh, because I, I do... I don't want to just be super negative today and just preach about problems, but, but I think sometimes it's beneficial um, to look at a problem. Uh, I'm, I'm personally kind of a problem solver, and so I've never found any solutions without first finding a problem. So um, I, enjoy, I enjoy finding problems in a process. I enjoy finding problems uh, in all kinds of issues. I don't enjoy finding problems in my car, uh, which I found this week. Uh, my truck just wouldn't start uh, two days ago. That was not an enjoyable problem. So, um, but, but, but whenever, I don't know about you, but in my personal life, whenever a problem arises, it's always been, um, it's almost like a setup. It's like God allows problems to show up in our lives in order to reveal his power in our lives. Cause it's like when I run into something that's bigger than me, that's when I turn to him. And that's when I see him do something. It's, it's always in the middle of problems that God demonstrates and reveals his power and shows me a little bit more of my purpose. Problems reveal some of your purpose. And they also, according to Exodus uh, 1 verse 10, reveal a little bit of your potential. I think much of the problems that we are facing is really because of our potential. Our enemy knows what we would do if we could. And so he comes against us. Sometimes the amount of problems that we're facing is really more of a testimony to the amount of potential that the enemy sees inside of us. Well, I'm preaching way better than you're nodding or amening. I mean, do we have any Baptists in here who can just kind of be like something like this, a little something? I mean, Easter comes, your mom comes with you, and you're like this. I mean, come on, man. Like, what is going on? We, we got, J, JT's giving me the nod. He's got the groove going on. It's, you know, it's just somewhat encouraging. And, and this is what I love about God, that God doesn't shy away from problems. God uses problematic people. God uses people with problems. 
God speaks to people who are in the middle of problems. These folks, that's good, honey. Nobody saw you at all. That was, that was really good. It was camouflage. Maybe some camo next time would help. You could just sneak. army crawl it, babe. Come on, do it for Jesus. <laughs> wow. Um, I, don't even, I don't remember anything I was talking about. That, that hot girl came walking up here and I just, I lost it. I, I don't know. I got to get back in Jesus mode. Jesus, problematic problems. Come on, somebody. This is, that was a great illustration, honey. It's good. It's nice. Thank you. When problems arise when you're preaching and uh, all kinds of problems and stuff happens. And, and anyway, God, God uses the problems to show his power, but also the enemy kind of tips his hand a little bit. Sometimes his oppression is really a clue to our potential that he sees inside of us. That's what happened with the Israelites. The enemy was afraid of them. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built Python and Ramses which was the best, as store cities for Pharaoh. And, uh, you know, some, 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 some people say they built the pyramids. That's not true. Pyramids were built way before the Israelites got there, but they built these store cities and, 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 and army um, bases and things like that. And I think we have another verse at some point. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and they worked them ruthlessly. That is not an overstatement. They worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar. I want to stop right there. That's pretty much my, my text. So um, happy Easter. My text today is they made their lives bitter <laughs> with harsh labor in brick and mortar. And um, uh, I, w I went to Bible college. I, I have, uh, I don't know, I, I, I have a, a degree of some sort, a bachelor degree in Christian ministries, uh, which means um, absolutely nothing. And uh, uh, this week while I was studying and preparing, instead of reaching for my, um, for my seminary books, um, I went to the great university of YouTube. And this is where all the greats learn from. And um, because I wanted to know what it's like what, what, what does this verse mean? They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar. What, does, what are they talking about? Because this, this whole idea of brick and mortar and mud bricks is repeated later on in the book of Exodus as the primary job that the Israelites had. And so I'm trying to get my head around this. And so I found this video uh, of, uh, of, of ancient Egyptian brick, brick making. Let's see, um, it's, it's kind of low quality, but uh, this, is, this is kind of the scenario that you're talking about. Could you just pause it right there? actually just freeze it thanks um so basically this is what they this is how you start making mud bricks in egypt this is uh this is the ancient way that they used to do it apparently um the the soil by the nile is really rich and fertile it's kind of like um i think it's kind of like the east side of 35 in central texas you know it's that gumbo stuff i don't know if you ever tried to walk in that but like five inches of that man it's like suction cups on your feet. I mean, it's, it's brutal, but that's the kind of mud that, that they have along the Nile. So they first collect all of that mud. They add some water to it, create mud. Then they add some, some hay, some bits of straw um, to kind of give it some texture and some stability, some strength. And then they add some manure. And I have no idea why, but <laughs> just to make it smell good. And um, they didn't have machines back in the day. And so this is literally how they used to do it. They would have these mud pits that were basically up to your waist and you are wading through the mud. 
I mean, you are trying to take a step. You are moving and you can see he's putting his arms pretty much down to his shoulders. You dig down in the mud and kind of churn it up. Uh, this is how they would mix it. And so this is the first step in mud making. So if you all ever get trapped in Egypt and you don't know how to build a house, now you know, now you know, you know how it is, practical preaching. And so this is, this is what, but, but I want you to get a picture of what the Bible's talking about when it says that they made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar. This is where God found them. And I can't help but thinking this is so similar to us. By the way, you all look really, really good today. I, I just, I just thought I'd throw that out there. You got your Easter best. Uh, some of us, some of us got some good Easter shoes, rocking out some, some two seventies. I don't know who does that, but um, two hundred and seventy degrees of Air Max wrapped around a heel. Uh, but you, you, you guys look great. Lovely tie going on. Jonathan's rocking the tie. Uh, you know, you guys look good. But, but here's, here's the truth of the matter. No matter how nice your shoes are or how great your tie is, all of us, uh, this is kind of where we start. And uh, really, we all, we all, we're all just a little bit dirty. We're all just a little bit muddy. If, if, we take, if we took, I mean, you look great on Easter. You're sitting there all, you know, polished and nodding at, at the right point after I tell you, um, which is good, you know, and you're catching on. And all that is great, but, but the truth is if we were to peel back, you know, some of the facade of, of your Easter best, uh, there's, there's, there's some mud. Uh, the Bible says that all of us have mud. All have sinned and fallen into the mud. That's the, that's the hairy version. Uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God is what Romans says. And the truth is all of us, we were, the reason why we are so muddy is because we were actually born in the mud. The Bible says that, that in sin, my, my mother conceived me and in, and in iniquity, I was brought forth, which means uh, we come from a muddy family. Well, maybe not you all, but you all came from perfect families. Never mind. This side, some of our families, I don't know. I don't know about you. I was born into a muddy family. I was born into a sinful family. I was born into a family that didn't have everything figured out yet. I was born into parents who didn't have, every, have all the answers. They weren't perfect parents. They didn't even know what to do. I almost died. When I was like six months old, I like to tell this story. Mom, uh, you're welcome. Um, I almost died because I got, I, I got, I, I, I got uh, diarrhea at like, I was like two months, three months old, something like that. And I got diarrhea and I was the oldest, I was the first kid. And so I'm the experimental child. And so my parents were like, well, let's just see how long we can wait before we do something about this, right? And so apparently one of the relatives noticed that I couldn't even pick my head up. And so they had to take me to the hospital, stick a big needle like in my skull and give me uh, uh, water, fluids into my system, you know? Uh, so, you know, so we, so we don't come from perfect families. We, and that's not, that's not, that's actually, that's, that's whatever. But we don't come from perfect families. We come from muddy, we, we live in a muddy city. We live in a, check your shoes. We live in a muddy city. You know, he's checking. Hey, we live in, I mean, we, li we live in a muddy uh, country. We live in a muddy political system. For some reason, there's a lot of mud slinging going on. Because for some reason, we think if we can throw more mud on you, then maybe folks won't notice all the mud on me. And I just wonder if maybe that's why people come to church. Maybe that's why we come to church on Easter when we don't come any other time. Maybe we come because we're just curious, is there hope for my mud? 
Is there something that can be done about this stuff that I can't seem to get rid of? Because the, the problem with mud is you can't really get it off. It's like you wipe it, you gotta wipe it onto something else. So you get muddy whatever you wipe it off on. Trust me, I live on a farm. This is a l actual footage of me getting to my door this past week after four inches of rain overnight. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is like, like you know, my, my kids come in, they, they shed their clothes at the door. Like we're like, no, 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 you cannot come in looking like that. The mud's got to stay there because, because mud spreads, you know, it rubs off. And so, and so whatever relationship you try to get into and well, they're not very muddy, they don't have as much mud as me you end up sharing your mud with them and everybody with all the mud throwing we all get really dirty and nobody's cleaned off from all of this stuff we're 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 constantly rubbing shoulders with and 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 and, and sharing the mud it rubs off on people that's why we don't let our kids hang out with some kids not because we hate the kids but because we don't want them to be like those kids and when they hang out with those kids they act like those kids anyway those of you that have kids you understand you just you just it rubs off it, you, they start acting the mud is transferable you get around somebody enough you get some of their mud on you and it's and it's and it's sin. It's rebellion against God. It's hatred. It's it's racial uh, divides. It's economic divides. It's prejudice. It's bigotry. It's 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 all the kind of stuff. It, it's covering us. And I feel like I feel like this is one of the things I love about God is He comes to people who look like that. Like God didn't show up to the clean people. God didn't go to the clean people and say, I'm gonna take you out. No, he went to the muddy people. God shows up, he calls out to people who are not perfect, who are messed up in the middle of their mess. That's one of the things I love about God is he will come to people who are muddy and he will say, I will bring you out of that mud. I will bring you out. I will bring you out from under this stuff that you're in. That's exciting to me. I, that's the kind of God that we serve. We don't serve a God who judges us in the mud, who condemns us in the mud. He calls out to us. He calls out to us while we're in the mud. And, and, and so as, as I began re researching uh, how this whole process worked, I found uh, an ancient painting uh, I think I think they call it hieroglyphics, and this is a this is an actual Egyptian painting um, believed to be of the Hebrews um, that were making mud bricks. This is kind of highlighted a bit, zoomed in a lot, um, so that you can make out the details. But you can see number one, here's the here's the mud pile, right? He's he's in the mud pile, and he is he's transferring mud, putting mud onto his friend there who has who has a basket. Who has who has a basket? And so, if that's not a picture of humanity, I don't know what it is. And so we're we're transferring the mud. We're we're putting it onto this guy who has the basket, and then he carries the basket over to what we would call a brickyard. Carries it over to these guys who put the mud into a form, and then pop it out the other side and let it dry in the Egyptian sun. And that's basically the way that it that they used to make. Uh, the mud bricks. And I, I came across that, that picture and it made Psalm 81 make sense. Psalm 81 verse 6 says that I heard a voice that was unknown to me say, I removed the burden from their shoulders and their hands were set free from the basket. So this is an inverted process. God's starting with the end and he's getting to the beginning. But the process of brick making starts when you're in the mud, but it doesn't end there. 
And this is, this is the, the great damage of mud. This is the real damage of where we came from and where we were born and the families we were in and the cities and the environment that we were a part of. This is the real damage of our natural tendencies is it's not just the mud. It's the fact that we, 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 we always carry it all of our lives. We, we carry what we cultivate. It's not, just the, it's not just the step. It's the cycle that was started with the step. It's not just the action, it's the addiction that was formed from the action. So there's the mud, there's the sin, there's the, there's the bad, there's the hate, there's the failure. But then it's not just that, then there's the shame after that. That's what we carry. That's the mud that really weighs us down. The mud that we've been in gets transported by us on our shoulders, the weight. And it is, and it is the, it's, it's the patterns. It's the patterns that we set that, that create, that really uh, just bring our past with us into our present and hold our future hostage. It's, it's, it's the basket. And so, and so really today, I just want to talk about those two things right there. I want to talk about uh, the, the, the basket and the burdens or the basket and the bricks. But it, but it really starts with, with the basket. And I know I know um, uh, this, this, this is, this is, a, this is a all out, really nice. We, we, we kind of stretched the City Chapel budget today on sermon illustrations, um, but just kind of to go a little bit further, I know not all of you are carrying that basket. Some of us are carrying this basket, which my wife so, so lovely brought with us. And uh, this, is, this is actually from our house. This is why it's all muddy, because this is, this is the basket a lot of us are carrying. This is a self-improvement basket, right? This is the basket where it's like, I, I still have mud, but, but, but I'm working on it. I still have mud, but you know, I got my therapist. I still have mud, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to get better. It's a self-improvement, right? It's like, it's like, it's, it's like uh, Lowe's says, hey, you come, come to Lowe's, buy a shrub, put it in the front of your house. It'll look so much better. It'll die two weeks later, but it'll look so much better for those two weeks. You know what I'm saying? And it's the, it's, it's the I mean, but, but the truth is, the truth is we, we, we all have different kinds of baskets. I mean, some of us have, you know, nice, but, but a lot of us are trying to improve ourselves. Some of us, some of you all um, are from Lakeway and this is how you roll. Um, <laughs> Two of you, two of you, nice. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the other side of Austin. It's, we, we, got, we, we got mud in, in, our, in our Lexus baskets, you know what I mean? We transport mud in, in and I, it's, it's the same mud. It's the same mess. It's the same anxiety. It's the same torment and shame. It's just we dress it up a little bit, right? We get some 270s to go along with it. We, we make it. We spend a little bit of money. We, 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 we try to make ourselves look a little better while we carry the mud. But, but here's, here's the truth. I don't care if you're a rich mud carrier or a poor mud carrier. It, 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 it's still, the weight is the same. The burden is the same. The, the, the heaviness is the same. And, and by the way, God is not just simply wanting to offer you a better basket. Church is not just a better basket because, because some of us, some of us carry, have carried this one uh, for a while. This is, this, this is the basket of religion. Uh, it's not really a basket, it's actually a box because religion is really, actually technically there, there should be a top on this with a lock on it because in religion, there's no way you're gonna see my mud. Like we block it up and bolt it and shut it in. And uh, no, no, we don't have any mud here. We just have this pretty little basket and we got our pretty little uh, bump church bumper stickers on our car. And um, I'm, I, I, how are you? Oh, I'm blessed and highly flavored. 
flavored, flavored like a steak, like the brisket that Chris has been working on all night. Come on, somebody, after service. That's what I'm talking about. He's blessed and highly flavored. Well, how are you? I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. <laughs> I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I mean, if, if you have to choose a, an animal part, I guess the head is the better smelling version. But the truth is you're still a donkey and you're still in the mud. You know what I'm saying? Like whether you're the head or the tail, the truth, because religious folks have just as much mud in them as anybody else. And I can, I can preach this one because I grew up carrying this one. The problem with this weight is you're not allowed to sweat because you're not supposed to look like you have any mud because nobody is supposed to have any mud when they got, when they got a pretty religious box. But here's, here's the deal. What if maybe God wants to release, free your hands from the basket? What if God doesn't just want to, to, to religiousify and, get, and, 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 and teach you some, that's not even a word, but what if he wants to teach you some religion words? What if he wants to teach you like what if he wants to do more than just simply teach you how to dress and what music to listen to and where Caleb is on your radio what if he wants to do something where he wants you to set it down like what if he just wants to set down the basket what if what if what if God's whole purpose is not just to dress up the basket not just to make it look Christian but to actually get the mud out your life where you're not carrying it technically technically many many of you all are not carrying the religion basket because um, really probably because you grew up watching your parents carry that basket. And you said, well, they had just as much mud as everybody else, only nobody saw it because we had it all blocked in and uh, uh, we, weren't, we weren't transparent. And so, and so many of us here in Austin, we have the Austin approved um, clear, clear basket for our mud. And this is how I, I, was at, I, was, I, was, I was at the barber the other day and uh, there was this person next to me and she was talking about how hypocritical Christians are, how they, how, how they always act like they have everything together. And they always, and she said, and she, and she said, you know what? I don't have everything together. She said, I'll, I'll tell you the name of my therapist. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, it's just, it's just, it sounds a little funny when you're, when you're angry at somebody for being prideful that they don't have any mud, but then you are prideful that you, that you do. You are so prideful that it's like a race to the bottom. It's like, let me tell you, let me, let me just put it all out on Facebook. Let me just vomit all of my mud all over here. Check it out. I'm not ready to deal with my issue, but I want you to deal with it because you're just going to have to take me as I am. You know, you're just going to have to deal with all of my, and here it is. And here, and we feel self-justified. It's getting quiet in Austin now. We feel self-justified because, hey, we're real about our mud. Well, okay, being real about your mud, it smells just as bad as the people who aren't real about their mud. I'm, I'm clear about it. I got mud, I got issues. And it's, well, okay, that's lovely. That's wonderful. But it's, the weight is the same. The weight on your shoulders that you're carrying around, whether you let people see it or not, it's the same. It's, it's, it, God, God doesn't just simply want transparency. I mean, transparency is good. Uh, we have transparency at the church. Me and my wife talk about our issues to you all. I talk about my personal struggles. Uh, we, we're, we're transparent with our finances. We believe, in, we believe in transparency, but at the end of the day, we believe in, in clean, cleaning way better than transparency. That there ought to be transparency, but there ought to be less mud when you come to Jesus, that he frees your hand. He frees your hand from the basket. That's the key. Hands, hands are always symbolic in the Bible for your actions, for your daily activities. 
Scripture says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That means he who's living clean. Hands, it's a, it's a symbol of your, of your life, of your living. And it, that is what perpetuates the basket. It is your daily choices that carries your past into your present. That perpetuates the patterns that you've been stuck in. And God says, I will free your hands. I will free your daily. And it's not just making, giving you a better Sunday. It's not just giving you a better church experience. I want to free your hands from the cycle. I want to free your hands from the basket because here's what happens. If you keep carrying your basket, eventually you carry your basket to the brickyard and they would dump out the mud in the brickyard and the brick uh, guys would stick it into a mold, uh, flip it over and then let it sit out in the sun for a few days where it would harden. And then you have this other passage. He says, I removed the burden from their shoulders. The, 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 the mud in your hand becomes the burden of your shoulder. And just, and just once again, to show you just a, just a practical demonstration, these are some folks doing this today, this very thing. I think these guys are over in, um, over in Africa. Uh, and this is amazing. They have a board. Apparently this is how they've been doing this for, for years. And they start stacking. And so this, this, this is the burden that God's talking about. God's up in heaven. He's seeing all his people. They would take a little over half of their body weight in bricks on top of their head. This is all day. They'd start at two in the morning and end about five in the afternoon. This is all day, every day. And I, 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 saw, that, I saw that video and I thought, man, if that's not a picture of many of us, there is this, we've been, we've been carrying and we, we, we choose different ways to carry, but we've been carrying the same stuff. And after a while it gets hard and it turns into bricks and the mud on our hands turns into the, the weight on our head. And it's weighing us down and it's, and, it's, and it's over half our body weight and we're just trying to get up in the morning. We're just trying to go to work. We're just trying to survive this brutal. What, 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 what did it say in verse 14? He made their lives bitter with harsh labor, worked them ruthlessly. And it's, and it's heavy. And this is what God's trying to save us from, the harsh labor. This is what God's trying to save us from, the heaviness. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I don't want you just to take my word for it. I'm a pastor. Like I say, I've been to Bible college. Um, they always, people always put pastors in weird categories start telling me stuff I have no business of knowing, like right off the bat. It's like, it's just confessional, I guess. I don't know. Like, whoa. But, but <laughs> we have several folks at City Chapel that have experienced this. God has freed their hands from the basket and their head from the burden. And um, so we sat down with one of them a couple weeks ago, shot a video. Uh, his name is Romeo. Some of you might know Romeo and Jackie. Um, and uh, he, uh, he, we, we filmed a great testimony. It was about 55 minutes long. <laughs> Seriously, no joke. And um, so I edited it for you all. Just, uh, you can thank me later. Um, I, I, I edited it so that you all would be able to have some of that brisket that we've been talking about. Uh, I, I, I cut it down to six minutes, but I really want you to be able to see his testimony uh, and his, uh, his journey. 
And he's still on a journey, and he's here with us. He's a part of our church, and we're excited about what God is doing in his life. But um, hear, hear, hear Romeo's story. So my name is Romeo Perez. The church that we were attending when I was growing up was every Wednesday, every Sunday, and sometimes other days during the week. I saw God in the only way that I had been shown, which was wrath, uh, anger, to be feared. Imagine being 11 and 12 years old and you're just trying to do the right thing all the time and you're scared. It was too hard to try to live the way they wanted me to live. At the age of 15, you know, I snuck a TV that someone had given me into my mother's house. I came home one night and my, there was a box outside of the door. The doors were locked and my stuff was in it. And so was the TV. I started running out with the gangs and I started, you know, doing the gang life. It was easy for me just to fit in, you know, to that and not care. You know, it was easier for me to walk away from the church and not have all of these rules to follow. I blamed it on the church. I blamed, um, you know, I, I've slept in, in, in creeks. You know, I've slept in apartment swimming pools on, you know, I, I found places to sleep when I didn't have anywhere to sleep. I blamed everything that I had been through on the church. And I would tell people, how do you want me to believe in a God? How do you want me to believe in somebody that, that says, that doesn't give me a choice on whether I want to even live this life? I'm thrown into this life. And then you tell me that I got to live by your rules. I got to live by your rules or else I'm going to burn in the lake of fire for eternity. That's the way I saw things. You know what I mean? So it made me angry. So I kind of just lived doing what I wanted to do. And there's something that happened, and it hurt me really bad. It got me so tired, I was just pretty much at the end of me. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm tired. I'm going through this same cycle. I remember I got invited to an AA meeting, and so I went and attended. It's, it's about going to a higher power. I remember feeling like I needed to go to a church. So... I walk out of this meeting and I go to the first church I find. I've never been to this church and I didn't know anybody at the church, right? It's like midday during the week. So I walk in and they have a food, a food shelter. So I ask the lady, hey, is, is there someone here that I can talk to? So she introduced me to the, hey, um, I just need to pray. I prayed. I was there 45 minutes, maybe more, I don't know. And I just said, God, I need you. You know, I was tired. I was just so tired of suffering and my, going through this cycle, I was tired of life. And I just said, God, I need you. You know, I really do. I want to surrender everything to you. I want to surrender everything to you, God. I just can't do it anymore. And so I did, you know, and I decided from that day on that I was surrendering everything to God because in my 43 years of living, I've been through so many things and, and tried so many organizations and, and 
tried this and tried that, and it's all failed. It's all failed, and that's including some churches. You know, I'll just be honest. But it wasn't about joining a church. It was about surrendering my life. And so I went to City Chapel. I attended, and it just... It touched my life. It, I couldn't stop crying, just like I can't now, you know. But they're not tears of sadness. They're tears of joy, you know, because I can see God in my life. And after being numb for so long, to feel is amazing. So I got plugged into some small groups, plugged into Freedom, you know, which is another small group that's part of City Chapel. And there is freedom in the Lord. And, and, and you know, one of the things that touched me about uh, the sermon coming to City Chapel and hearing Pastor Harry's sermon is that he preached the word in a way I had never heard. You know, it was it was amazing to me that it wasn't all fire and brimstone, that it wasn't all scary church as he calls it you know and I call it now but it, it, it just wasn't all scary church you know it was it was love and we talk about that in freedom as well you know it's about connecting to God you know connecting to that freedom it's already done for us all we have to do is plug in there's an example used you know to where you know this guy is, is is saying like a parable you know what I'm saying and it's and he's talking about how the radio station is there you know your favorite radio station say you listen to 103 you know it's here it's in this room right now but because we don't have a receiver and we don't have it on we can't hear it but it's still here it's still broadcasting it's still here in around us right now and that's how it is with God he he's still here he's always here he's always been here I just didn't open up my heart to receive him. And once I finally surrendered and I received him and I became that receiver, it's 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 just like I could hear everything. I could see everything. It's like everything became different. I could feel his love. I could feel his compassion and you just come alive, you know? It it it's it's turned me from a zombie into to a son of God. passage I want to read to you today is found in Exodus 5. Um, God sends Moses and Aaron, and they go to Pharaoh, and they say, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh answered and said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? As we hear Romeo's story, as we think in our own lives, I think this is the pivotal moment, one of several actually in the book of Exodus, where God confronts Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's first response is, who is the Lord that I should let these people go? He, notice he doesn't deny the existence of God. Pharaoh believed in several gods. He's not an atheist. He believed in, he believed actually, Pharaoh believed himself to be uh, an, an incarnate deity. 
he himself was a god. He believes in gods. He's used to thinking about the world in this way. In the ancient civilizations, everybody had gods. There were gods everywhere. Uh, The Assyrians had gods. Babylonians had gods. The Greeks had gods. Everybody had their own gods. And these gods were um, sort of known by their name, number one, but number two, by their people, which is why Pharaoh is shocked that the Hebrews would, would come deliver this message from their God, that God says, let my, my people go. Pharaoh's shocked by this because, well, you know how powerful a God is based on how powerful his people are. So in Pharaoh's mindset, the Egyptian gods were really powerful. They had enslaved the Hebrews. They had built some of the, the wonders of the world and the pyramids. They had, they, 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 they had developed so much of, of science and math and, and astronomy. And uh, the, 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 the Egyptian gods were powerful, but, but he's shocked. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Why should I listen to a God of, of slaves? The God of people who are in, a mud, in the mud, the God of the people building the bricks. He's God, this God, this, this Yehovah, he's obviously not very powerful. He's shocked. But this is what I think is one of the two things that I think you have to understand that God has done. He, he, he designates his property. He looks at his people and he says, let my people go. Even though they had been, it looked like they had been Pharaoh's people for 400 years. God never lost ownership over them. God never considered the fact that maybe somebody else owned his people. He still called them his people. He said, let my people go. And this is the God that we serve. He looks at us in the mud and he says, that's my people. He is the God of slaves. He is the God of the addicted. He is the God of of the broken. He is the God of the muddy. He is the God of those who are oppressed. He looks at the people in the mud, but he sees past the mud that's on us. And he sees the person that he created to begin with. And he hasn't forgotten who we were when he made us in the very beginning. And I think that's one of the things that stops us from coming to God is because we believe that we are so far away from him. Yet in God's own words, he says, these are still my people. They're muddy, (laughs) but they're mine. And I don't turn, I, I don't know about you, but I don't turn my kids away when they misbehave. I don't forsake my kids when they misbehave. And if I'm like that, and I'm just a human who I do make mistakes and I don't have it all together, how much more does God feel toward you in the midst of your mud? Now he wants to clean you off, but you you don't have to clean yourself off before you come to him. He looks at you and he says, this is my, my child. This is my son, my daughter that I created that I had an intention for when I made them. And then not only that, but he, he speaks to our enemy and that's, that's what he did. I think this, 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 this showdown really between Pharaoh and Moses and God, this is, a, this is a prophetic picture of what would happen 
2,000 years ago, 1,300 years, 1,400 years after this incident, there would come the man, Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, who would deal personally with our enemy, the enemy of sin. And notice how Moses and Aaron didn't necessarily go to the Israelites to say, hey guys, okay, God wants to bring you out. So you need to really, you know, learn these 12 steps and, and get, get really, really solid on this because God's gonna bring you out. No, instead God personally addresses their enemy. And he comes against their enemy and he says, you have to let them go. And this is what you need to know today is that salvation doesn't start today. It doesn't start here. God speaking to you even right now in this service is not the beginning. Salvation started 2000 years ago where Jesus approached your enemy before you were even born. And he said, you have to let my, my people go. He approached your enemy and he, took, and he took your basket, whatever basket you like to carry. He took your basket, he took your mud. The Bible says that he who knew no sin, he who had never been muddy, he who had never been in the mud, he who knew no sin took on our sins, took on our mud. He covered himself in our sins. He took the mud of you and of me and of every person who's ever lived on the cross. He took on our shame. He took on our guilt. He took on our pain. He took on the mud and he even took our baskets along with him. And that's why he had to be crucified so that he could kill the mud. It's, he took it on himself. He took it all. He took all the bricks of the world. He took all the pressure, all the weight that's on everyone's head today. He took all of that weight on himself on the cross. And then he killed the body that was covered in the mud. He killed the body that, that had the baskets. He nailed the baskets to the cross and he killed the body that was covered in the mud. And then they buried the body that was covered in the mud. They put the mud back where it belongs. They put it in the ground. And he stayed there for two days. And on the third day, some ladies went to the tomb to do some stuff to prepare his body for burial. An angel appeared and said, April fools, he's not here. You thought he was dead, but he's not. Why are you looking for living people in a graveyard? And maybe that's the question. Why do you keep going back to the same grave to get the same mud? Why do you keep looking for life in the same dead cycle, in the same dead processes? Why are you looking for living things among dead things? You're in the wrong neighborhood, dude. This isn't, you're not even, this isn't even here. Life isn't here. Death is here. The mud is here. He left the mud here, but he got up without the mud. He didn't even take the wrapping cloth. He folded up the wrapping cloth that they wrapped him in and left it there just in case that had a little bit of mud on it, I think. He, 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 he got up without mud so that you and I, he, the Bible says he who knew no sin took on the sins of the entire world so that we might become, so that we might take on the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that we might be clean, not to get a better bucket or a better process for carrying our junk, but to release our stuff. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a minute? I wanna give you an opportunity to receive the love of God and to put your faith in the finished work of Jesus today. 
on Easter Sunday, what better day to decide? To decide that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago could apply to you. That his death could apply to you. That, that you could see your sin being taken to that cross, being nailed to it, dying and being buried where it belongs. And that you could see your life rising again. You could see your marriage rising again. You could see your health rising again. You could see your attitude rising again. You could see life. If you want to receive that life today, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me.